So you are interested in libertarianism. You have come to the right place with the right discussion. But understand this, as I have come to discover, libertarianism is not synonymous with the libertarian party. Some might say libertarianism isn't even a political movement. Libertarianism starts at the most local level. You. Mainstream media is dominated by the right and the left. The majority in the middle are left without a voice. You've reached the Conservative Hippie Podcast, a common sense look at life, the universe, and everything. Here's your host, Jay Frat, the Conservative Hippie. All right, here we are again. I am the Conservative Hippie. I am Jay Frat. I have Tom. Luongo from the Gold Goats and Guns podcast in studio, in the Smoking Jays podcast studio in Olympia, Washington. Here he is, Florida man. Hey, <laughs> Florida man himself, right? Uh, good afternoon, Jay. It's really great to be here. That's a, it's been a, a lovely couple of days that we spent together so far, and I've really enjoyed it. And uh, you are perhaps the only person um, that that I could I I have heard call himself an intellectual hick, and I've said. <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of like that. <laughs> I, I, I also it. like techno hippie, by the way. If you're the conservative okay. hippie, I'm the techno hippie. Okay, okay. I, I can see that one as well. You are so well-versed on the technical sides of so many things that I find strange and complex, <laughs> a.k.a. <laughs> cryptocurrency. Um, today, I've brought him into studio. We're going to do an addendum. We're going to do a second part. If you haven't seen, or if, excuse me, if you haven't listened to episode 52 of the Conservative Hippie Podcast, it's titled Anarcho-Capitalism and Geopolitics as Defined by Tom Luongo. Please go back, listen to that, because it blew me away. I had never really had anybody explain anarcho-capitalism. I mean, it was a curiosity of mine. Mm. Tom explained it so well. It's not some crazy, chaotic theory of um, anarchy and capitalism. It is more of a personal philosophy and a way to live your life. And when that was explained to me, I thought it was so beautiful. So thank you for that, Tom. Mm -hmm. Um, Go back and listen to that, folks. Episode 52. Today... We are going to try to advance, uh, computer technology willing, we are going to try to advance the conversation of libertarianism and bring it, we're going to try to have a conversation that brings it full circle from the philosophy we discussed in episode 52 to the modern underpinnings of what we're seeing today in our political and cultural climate. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always, Tom, I've always considered the Libertarian Party to be a big tent. And that's part of the problem with the with the Libertarian Party is it creates a lot of noise and confusion on mm. what is a Libertarian. Uh, it's limiting party reach through confused esoteric messaging. Um, I've heard you describe yourself as a Libertarian. I it's once again you've used another term. I really don't know what the hell it means, Tom. All right. So can you try to explain to us what is a libertarian versus the, a libertarian? The, the libertarian is the current. Um, it's, it's it's lol. Yeah, oh, it's in, lol. Yes, lolbertarian. Oh, yeah. libertarian, right. as in lol, laugh out loud. Right. Okay. It's all right. A, I'm so, catching up. I'm okay. catching up to your crazy memes. It's not me, man. This is the alt right. The alt right guys 
uh, and or, you know whatever you want to call them, the uh, the sovereignist right or whatever you want to call them. It's really the alt right guys. Um, hate libertarians. And they call them libertarians because they are obsessed with, and they've created this kind of straw man, uh, where all libertarians are obsessed with open borders. And of course, since they're sovereignists and believe, and really are worried about the the loss of cultural cohesion and unity, the the culture war that we're fighting and everything else, which is a perfectly reasonable thing to be fearful of. And I, by the way, I share their fears, but I'm not a libertarian. The libertarians are what we in the libertarian space call uh, left libertarians. These are people who came from libertarianism from the left, okay, and they believe in all of that 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 personal liberty stuff. They're very they're very high in trait openness. If you think in the big five pillars, uh, a personality thing, whereas and not very high on conscientiousness. And on the other side, you have right libertarians, and a lot of people would consider me more of a right libertarian than a left. I'm, I'm I honestly don't skew either way i see both sides very very clearly you, but, you know what's best about both sides is at least they share a deep committed understanding of civil liberties well and civil liberties and and personal sovereignty right yes and so but they're coming at it from two different angles and both of them can wind up in ideological purity spirals if they're not careful the right libertarians are much more interested in uh economic and uh, kind of normative or positive uh, kinds of positive rights versus normative rights. If we get, you're better to get like Walter Block on the podcast to discuss the, the the differences between these two things. Remember that libertarianism is a political philosophy. It's not a moral or ethical philosophy. Okay, um, it is purely a political philosophy. And the current climate that we're in now, as the globalists try to square the circle on their dystopian nightmare that they're that they're their globalist dystopian nightmare that they're uh they're trying to erect right now using COVID 19 and, and uh uh the cheat code to, uh, to tyranny which is public health to i think ron DeSantis had a great uh, way of call, calling it the other day i think he called it a a, a bioterror super state or something like that i was like brilliant I, I loved what he said um and he's my governor and as an, even as an anarcho-capitalist i freaking I freaking love Ron DeSantis, and I would never thought I'd ever say that about any politician, because at this moment in time, I understand what he's doing. But the the libertarian meme is a straw man that the alt right has created in order to um, justify their hatred of open borders libertarians and the open borders libertarians. The, now let's go back and let's talk about the 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 the, the history of the party as okay. a political movement. Open borders has always been the most, single most contentious issue within libertarian circles. Well before the the political uh, oligarchs came in and started to corrupt it, like the Koch brothers in the in the eighties and nineties, and 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 later the GOP and all of that, they always sat around arguing about open borders. I, I've I've talked to parties, the people who were at were at the original party meetings back in seventy two and seventy one, and they were arguing about this stuff then. The left libertarian saying open borders at all costs. It doesn't matter. It's a human right. You have the right to, if you're peaceable, to cross arbitrary political borders because they don't actually exist because they're a consensual hallucination of the state. Fine. And on the other side, there's people going, yeah, but we have private property and we have these things called cultures and we have these things called nations. And if someone walks across the border and gets on welfare, he's not peaceable. Yes. And so the if you look at the, the guys centered around the Mises Institute and LewRockwell.com, this, this would be Ron Paul, Tom Woods, uh, Hans Hermann Hoppe, Lou Rockwell himself, and others. 
they've always argued, and Murray Rothbard even argued, says, look, you can't have political open borders policy in a country when you have a welfare state and a warfare state. And this is exactly where I come down. Like, so I absolutely believe, because once you're redistributing wealth through a welfare state and, a, and, create, and fomenting uh, uh, unrest overseas with a warfare state, creating political refugees, you're creating an economic incentive for them to come over here and get on the welfare system, especially if the welfare system welcomes them with open arms because they're doing so in order to buy, for one party to buy votes against the other party in order to get, do what? Get control of the state. So the whole thing is, is a mess. And then when you start really looking at how the globalists have, like of the George Soros bent, who are absolutely open borders, globalist government at, at all costs. And he's that, he represents, represents that wing of the Davos, what I call the Davos crowd. He's the open borders guy. Bill Gates is the kill off half the population Malthusian guy. And then you have Kyle Schwab who wants global communism because he he's believes the in, bureaucratic control guy because he believes in stakeholder capitalism because he's an idiot. Um, when you put all those things and you put those those various factions together and you and we we talk about the open borders issue. The open borders issue is absolutely key to understanding where we are in the culture war because that's how the culture has been destroyed. But the alt right also hates the fact that the libertarians of the Misesian Rothbardian variety told you. 50 years ago, 70 years ago, 100 years ago, that when you corrupt the money, you corrupt the society. And it doesn't matter whether you have open borders or not because a corrupt money begets a corrupt society. It's something I've, I don't know if I've said it recently that you've, since you and I started hanging out together, uh, but I've said it for years. That's, that it fundamentally starts with a corrupt money, which ultimately creates a corrupt society. We can have a one hour discussion on why that is because it would take me about an hour to explain it all. But it is, it is fundamentally true. Okay. So, the libertarian meme that exists today, and I argue this with my friends and uh, and and uh, and partner in, in Gold Coast and Guns all the time. He says, you know, Tom, come on, you can't call yourself a libertarian anymore. It's a tainted brand. And I'm like, well, it's a tainted brand to you guys, because you guys, you know, fundamentally believe that we're all just godless heathens who want to see a deracinated uh, uh, and deculturized society. I'm like. No. Yeah, that's those left, those crazy left libertarians that you know show up at the at the LP party meeting and and run for uh, California state house, you know, in a thong. Yeah, those guys, those guys are always lifted up and shown to the world. That's, that's the example. Cra- crazy drug guy. Yeah, well, crazy drug guy. In- we're talking about like like dopey weed guy J- Gary Johnson. We're talking about Star Child from from California who used to run for who used to run for Congress all the time in a thong. You know, I mean, I I can there's. Any it, the 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 uh, the movement attracts all of those people, right? That, and that's what I was saying is it is a big tent, and and I think it an easy way, a common sense way to look at what you were talking about with the open borders mm-hmm. is there's a purity in philosophy and there's a common sense practical application. This realpolitik, and and so you know. And that's what keeps happening to the Libertarian Party is I believe most people fall under the tent of the Libertarian Party. I meet Democrats all the time that I'm like, well, you know, really you're a Libertarian. But they think it's one thing because like you're talking about the straw man, uh, crazy weed guy gets propped up. And then your crazy open borders guy or the Koch brothers Mm -hmm. take over part of the party. Mm -hmm. And it gives somebody a tainted view of what Libertarian is. Well, I mean, Libertarianism is. Right, because, because we don't have control over our media. Right, the media are the enemy. We, you know, the alt right and the libertarian and the and the alt right and the and the and the quote unquote right libertarians shouldn't be arguing. 
you shouldn't be calling us all libertarians and we shouldn't be calling you right-wing SJWs. But you are acting like right-wing SJWs. You're acting like a bunch of, frankly, a bunch of incels. Help, help me out. What, what is give, – give an example because the phrase alt-right – you are thinking on an intellectual level right. where it actually, actually has— Actually, a visceral level. That's has, how much I don't like them. It has some sort of meaning to it, right? right. Whereas if—I uh, have a lot of normies that listen to my podcast, so we need to make sure that we help define things for them. Right. And alt-right has become its own meme uh, through mainstream media where the, it might be associated with uh, Tiki Torch white supremacists. Well, so can some you of them— give, give us an example okay, and, of and, an alt-right. And, right, and the alt-right— in that respect, has, was always turned into the cartoon versions of themselves. And guess what? A lot of the co- guys who called themselves alt-right were, guess what? How many of them were actually CIA or FBI? Like, Because yeah. they are, right? There's so much infiltration. There's so much disinformation to, to, to get people to constantly keep these groups from ever gaining any kind of critical mass because they know that if you keep us fighting amongst ourselves and calling each other names, that we'll never organize and actually do anything worthwhile. That's the thing that really bothers me. And what was always interesting was that when we broke through with Ron Paul in 2008, 2012, the hardcore anarcho-capitalist right libertarians of the, oh, by the way, all those guys, these guys talk about this all the time. You guys you know, you don't believe in God. You don't believe in this. I'll, I'll get to the, the all right in just a second. They're really just the hardcore sovereignists who believe in cult, who believe in culture and you know ethnostates and all the rest of it. And there's no re- there's no reason to believe that the ethnostate is even a bad idea. I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's the ideal thing. I'm open to whatever organization any group of humans wants to get together and do. I'm even open to commies getting together and creating communes. And I will defend their right to the death that they have the right to create a commune as long as they keep it on their private property. Yeah. Okay. I'm good with that. And as long as they don't try to export their communism to my private property. Because when the minute they start to do that, they're going to be met with Mr. 44 Magnum. It's just that simple. Because <laughs> I, I hate commies. Now, and but at the same time, that's where the alt-right is. And what they're saying is like, look, we want our culture to remain whatever it is. And if it, and in this case, it's a bunch of bunch of guys who believe in the uh, the supremacy of white European culture. Well, oh well, that's fine. But they're not saying that. I, don't, I, I won't. I won't put words in their mouth because some of them are distasteful people. But the f- fundamentally, at their core of the uh, of the idea is that it's a marriage of uh, of personal uh, of of community sovereignty and cultural sovereignty as much as anything else. And they have gotten to the point now where they are blaming the libertarians. As a and I, I've seen too many of these guys talk about this, Jay Dyer and 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 JF Garrity and, and and others, Mike Enoch and others. They all blame the libertarians, and they think that we're some kind of CIA uh, offshoot that we were created by the CIA to destroy the culture from within by by promoting rampant individualism, right? Of the variety we just talked about, Star Child running for Congress, a yeah. thong, you know, with purple hair and the whole, and whole, and nipples on it, and you know, literally in a thong. Um, that's what that that's the not that's the extreme libertine wing of the libertarian movement and those people exist and i'm not crazy about them but they're not where the hard philosophical and intellectual work has been done and that centers around again it goes back to the mises institute murray rothbard and all those and all those guys and who's who was a practicing orthodox jew 
Who's a Catholic? Who's a this? Who's a, who's a Calvinist like Al, Gary North and, uh, and others? These guys are all deeply, deeply religious men of extreme cultural, um, uh, conservative cultural uh, 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 bent, faith. faith and bent, right? They, they, that's who they are. And Ron Paul, for example, another perfect, great example of this, right? And every one of those men understands that culture is protected when private property is enforced, not, and the state never protects private property. That's what the state sells us, it sells itself to the world as, but the state can't do that. Because in order for the state to protect your private property, it first has to take some of it and monopolize the use of force over a geographic area and deputize some people to shoot you if you get out of line. Now, when it was, when they had very, 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 very little power, okay, that was fine. When the sheriff is, you know, Barney Fife with one bullet, he's only allowed to have one bullet in this gun, that's fine. When the sheriff you know, or the deputy sheriff is Barney Fife and the sheriff is, is you know, um, uh, uh, God, I can't remember, I can't remember his, Andy Griffith, right, who is a good, moral, upstanding member of the community trying to figure out what the problem is and create, sol- and create simple solutions. When the sheriff is Doctor Who, who never uses violence to solve his problems, everything's fine. But when the state gives a guy a gun and a badge and a costume, ooh, ooh, now we have power vectors. Now we have, and he can get, and he can get funding from the from the public treasury, and his salary is guaranteed, and he has sovereign immunity, limited sovereign immunity, and all these other things. That is not going to create. That is not going to protect private property. That is ultimately only to destroy private property. And this is exactly what we've always seen: that the minute government gets any gets the power to tax gets the power to raise revenue that's orthogonal in any way to its to its stated purpose it just gets a general tax and it uses it the state grows because it can then use that to create bulwarks and and the people who collect the capital collect the taxes now have power over the people who are paying the taxes and as murray rothbard famously said every society organized around the government is two classes of people taxpayers and tax consumers and that's what we're always fighting about. And that's what we should be fighting about. And what always annoyed me about all of this alt-right, the, the, the criticisms of the alt-right, of libertarians, is that they're, it's a straw man. They're arguing against the wing of the party that we, liber- that we honest to God, committed libertarians freaking hate. We're like, no, we kicked you people out because you're wrong. Open borders at any cost is wrong, Yeah. Period. We do, not- we do have to have some sort of organizing system of a society with our imaginary lines that say, no, well, this no, is us over it, here. It's not even that. It's that, that we'll get there as a consequence of go, doing away with the state creating public property. And that we'll get and, will, and that by the, by the ruthless enforcement over time of and removing, Regulations and forcing, and, 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 and in a sense, not really forcing, but by removing legislation and regulation, it, it then winds up where you and I have to figure out what's the best way we're going to deal with each other. We don't have the state telling us the way we're allowed to deal with each other. You and I have to come up with a better solution. And because of that, and because of that we're going to come up with a solution that works for both of us. And it may look much, much different than what we currently have today. I've always argued that. The reason 
that everybody's uncomfortable with this. And they think that when I start talking about like extreme anarcho-capitalism, the withering away of the state in Marxist terms and all this stuff, I envision a, a world far more polite, far less, um, far less chaotic because everybody, because you don't know what you're dealing with when you walk down the road. You know, if we all, like, you don't know who you're dealing with on the other side. So at the end of the day, everybody better be really polite with each other because you don't know if you offend that guy that he might not go ballistic on you. He might not, you know, I just flat out shoot you. Now, is he going to, is he going to survive that, that, that encounter? No, of course not. So the rest of the community will come down on him and take him, take him out. But the, the reality is, is that when we have no idea how the other person is going to react and we don't have a framework where we get to say we're in the right all of a sudden and he's in the wrong all of a sudden everything is a as a much more tense negotiation and therefore everybody's generally much more polite with each other they've done a lot of exper experiments in europe with no road signs no road stuff at all you know, nothing on the roads at all it's just a shared space and they find fewer traffic accidents Nobody gets run over, right? The, the pedestrians don't get run over. Traffic flows better because now everybody is now the drivers are constantly aware of all the little things, all the all the potential road hazards. They're not in their mode of I'm I have the right of way. When nobody thinks they have the right of way, everybody is much more, you know, is is so much more aware of the potential threats and the potential problems that all of a sudden. Everybody moves slower, but everybody gets to the destination faster. On on edge, but yet more aware. But more aware. That's interesting. And we get more spontaneous order with fewer rules. Hmm. As opposed to having all of these rules that conservatives love to have rules, because that's their that's where they fall on the five. They think order comes from orderliness and conscientiousness and all that stuff and comes from those things. You've got the open borders type libertarians that are very that are very trade openness. And very my body, my my choice, and all this stuff, and so they get emotionally triggered when you say, "Well, you can't walk across the border, an arbitrary political border." They get angry about that because they know they're peaceable; that they would never, that they personally would never walk across the border from Mexico into the United States and expect to be able to get on welfare or expect to be handed a job or expect to be able to steal something from somebody. So they're so, but they don't are unwilling to accept the fact that other people would be. And therefore, we we have in order for that, in order for those arbitrary political borders to go away or to be to to not be uh, powerful, they have to be replaced with proper private property, and private property comes from understanding that the individual is sovereign to the core of his being, and everything he does and everything he owns is a reflection of the time and energy that he put into acquiring that thing. So, for example, I'm in your studio today. Everything around you. That I'm looking at right now, all of this to me is J. Yeah, it, every bit of it is J. It all reflects a decisions you made and the the time, the opportunity cost for doing other things that you didn't do in your life. Everything around me that I see and everything I don't see is a reflection of J. Just like every, just like the clothes that you're looking at me wearing today are the ones that are, are a reflection of the decisions I've made. And once you start to really understand things that way. You have no way to make a reasonable or rational argument for taking it from somebody else. And the state is defined by being able to do that 
and saying, okay, well, I have in order for you to keep 85% of the stuff that you, you've created, you have to give us 15%. Well, we live in an age where the state takes 65%. So where's that number? Yeah. How about that number being zero? How about we push that number as close to zero as possible and accept the fact that we're not going to be able to protect everything so that we don't institutionalize theft at every level? Okay. This, this, this isn't a pushback. This is, Fair enough. This is, this is me trying to get the conversation to something on planet Earth and the United States of America. <laughs> because this is one of the things I don't like about libertarianism. Sure. and. Because I think it's a wonderful philosophy, and sure. I think it's the right way, because what all I've seen in my life is the expansion of government, mm-hmm. the largesse, the corruption, right. everything. You know, I, I'm, an, I'm an entrepreneur. Sure. Guess what? I don't like bureaucrats. Right. Surprise, surprise. Right. And yet, uh, the, the, the industry of bureaucracy all my life has only increased parabolically. It, right. it goes up and up every year, and the only thing that feeds it is taxpayer money and waste. Yep. Okay, so that's where I come from a libertarian perspective. A lot of people may have been confused by what you've said, and you talk about philosophy. You use a Barney Fife-like example, which I get. I was around when the militarization of the local police force happened in the 90s, sure. and, I, and I know why, but... I don't understand how you get from that philosophy to a practical application within our modern political structure. Uh, And and I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to be able to give you a good answer or one that you're going to be happy with. I can give you an answer. It's not going to be one you're going to be happy with. And it's not that I don't have an answer because I do. The problem here is very simply, you start with accepting that at every level into the core of your being. And now you have to start figuring out how you can destate your life and opt out of the state every at every turn of your life as you can. When you start doing that, when you start when you stop giving the state the the benefit of the doubt on anything it does, that starts the process. It always creates it individual desires and demands always wind up being expressed in the culture and in the community. No matter what happens, what we've done is we've, we're living through an age where the state has replaced God as the thing that gives people who don't believe in God meaning. And everybody has a religion. Everybody has a religion. And if you don't have one today, you'll make one up tomorrow. People are still arguing about The Last Jedi because Star Wars was their religion. And, the New Test- and they don't like the New Testament. Okay. You've heard that rant before. So the problem now is, yeah, where we are, I was talking about this on my live stream the other night. We live in fascist land. And we've all grown up within fascist land. Because the United States is a fascist organization. Right? It's it's a corporatocracy. It has been a corporatocracy since Herbert Hoover. Maybe even earlier. But let's start with the proto-New Deal. Okay? Which really started to corporatize the, well, just let, let's jump to the last 30 years and the, the way that we have built China through through utilization I mean, seri- of their it's, slave it's, labor. Ser- it's seriously accelerated post-World War II. Yeah. Okay? I, um, uh, uh, um, what's, his, what's his name? Uh, Tom Woods and, uh, and, and Bob Higgs have done wonderful work on this, explaining the fascist- fascization 
um, of the American economy post-World War II. Okay? Now, we live in fascist land. We're all, we all live in the context of fascist land. Whenever we're given an, uh, an opportunity to choose between t- uh, two political solutions, we get fascist solution number one or fascist solution number two. Both of them are really just the same thing. All we're doing is like, we're going to put a little bit more money on this side of the ledger versus that side of the ledger. That's the difference between Democrats and the Republicans. 65% of the discretionary spending uh, when the Democrats are in power go to Democratic products and 65% of the money goes to uh, Republican projects, right? The rest of the money is already spent. And that discretionary spending is only like 4% of the budget or 5% of the budget. It's nothing. Yeah. And they, and they fight it. We fight about $200 billion worth of spending when they're spending $4 trillion a year. Okay. So, and then we get, and then we're supposed to be outraged over that stupid stuff. And it's, it's, it's nonsense. And they know exactly what they're doing. But the, but the, the core problem is, is that everybody's thinking within the con- the concept, the context of, of the base assumptions that fascist land is eternal, as opposed to thinking completely outside the box of what fascist land looks like. That's the hard part. And once you start doing, once you start looking at the world this way, and all I can tell people today is I don't, I don't care if you agree with me or you disagree with me. That's not what I want you to do. What I want you to do is I want you to think about looking at the world the way I look at the world, even if you don't agree with it. I look at the world through Marxist eyes all the time. I fundamentally, to viscerally, to the core of my being, despise Marxism. But I look at the world as best I can through a Marxist eyes to understand how they see things in order for me to try and figure out how to craft arguments to deprogram them, to deprogram the people who have been convinced that Marxism is a, is a solution, right? I need you, the normie conservative and the normie uh, uh, center-left you know, a civil rights activist. I need you to look at the world from the extreme perspective of what it looks like as to ruthlessly engage and defend private property and individual sovereignty. And I don't mean my body, my choice over abortion rights, because obviously abortion is anathema. Like obviously abortion is freaking murder. Not oh, well, but uh, I, I got af- after four months on the conservative hippie podcast, we've sol- we've solved that, Tom. Yeah, it's it's a civil right before four months, and it's murder after four months. Uh, uh, that's fine. I, I'm I'm not I'm not even I'm not I'm not even going to go there. I Walter Box Walter Box well, yeah, so, uh, Walter Box got a great ar- a great a great argument about eviction, but I don't even want to want to go there. Um, my point being, you can just apply eviction theory and the uh, to the baby. I, I don't I don't even want to go there today. To me, abortion's freaking murder, but that's fine. I'm also not going to say that just because it's murder doesn't mean that I need the state to come in and 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 put people in jail because that's not the solution to the problem. The solution to the problem is making it such that the woman doesn't ever want to make that decision and you give her as many options as possible to not make that decision by persuading her not by telling her she's not allowed but by persuading her that oh well okay if you don't um this is and, and this is a way of thinking about it. This is a great anarcho-capitalist way of looking at a particularly contentious issue. Well, okay, if you got a woman who's who got pregnant by mistake, you know, well, not mistake, but you know, not planned, yes. and she's young and she doesn't have the she doesn't feel she has the resources to keep the child or whatever, and she's thinking about getting an abortion. That's when the community, that's when the individual steps in and goes, "I will help you get through it." 
I will be happy to adopt the baby afterwards. I will be happy to pay all of your medical bills to ensure that you take the baby to term. I will do whatever I have to do through to help you. That's what the family, the nuclear family steps in and says, no, we will love this baby. We will take care of it. We will, we will be there for you. That's an expression of anarcho-capitalism. It's when people voluntarily give of themselves and do, the, and do I, what they I, think I is I the right thing. I get it. Community, community resources, community assistance. It's, it's, about vo- it's the difference between mandating something and choosing to do something. The infinite gulf between the statist and the libertarian is the, is the axis of choice. When you mandate something... All of a sudden, it's immoral. It's fundamentally immoral to demand you must do this. And if you, and, and well, what are you going to do? If, I'll kill you if you do it, if you don't do that. And that's what the state says. It's all the state's got. It's going to eventually just going to point a gun at you. They give you a ticket for jaywalking in New York and you don't pay it. Well, you don't pay it. Okay, then they then then they then they put a fine on you. Then they do this. Then, and then there's they, some interest. And then there's interest, and then there's penalties, and then they take your license away from you, and then they do this, and they do that. And if you keep saying no, eventually, then the bill gets so big that they come to you and they go, "Pay this bill, or we'll kill, or we'll put you in jail." And if you say, "I don't want to go to jail," well, you're going to jail. And if you resist arrest for going to jail, guess what? And then they kill you. And now it's the end of and now it's the end of Kafka's the trial, like. Over and over and over again. It's the same. It doesn't matter what you've been accused of. We decided you were a criminal. Accept that you're a criminal. And if you don't accept you're a criminal, we're going to kill you. Okay? So what I need you to understand is that look at it from that perspective. And then you'll start to see where all the fault lines in the society are. And use it as a lens. Use it as a filter to see where the problems in your society are. Because what the libertarians... The economic analysis, when you take that idea, those ideas and then start building a priori the way an economic system should be built to maximize human potential and maximize human happiness, you'll see a lot of answers that you'll be like, well, how did the libertarians, how did that guy know that this was going to happen? Like, because this, 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 and this, because it's correct. Because this is a correct interpretation of how human beings will ultimately act in the long run. Now, it's a qualitative argument, a quantitative one. I can't tell you that interest rates below a certain point are going to you know, blow up the society. I can't say that, and I can't tell you when it's going to happen. But I can tell you that if you do this, this is what's going to happen. Okay, Because this is how people are going to react to it. And it's, going to, it's why, the, this, why this system is going to fail or why the banks are going to fail or why that's going to fail. Once you do that, once you start to look at the world that way, one, you won't be able to un, you won't be able to unsee it that way. You may re- recoil in horror that it has to work that way. You may reject it. You may not like it. That's fine. It took me a long time. There's an old joke in the libertarian circles. What's the difference between a minarchist, which is a person who believes in small government, and an anarchist, which who a person who believes in no government? About two years. <laughs> right? It's the that, that's the difference. It's about two years. It takes you, you you go through the process and minarchism is kind of a cope. Is that is that middle stage between being a Republican or a Democrat and then going, well, okay, I like limited government. 
Because I think we have to have some government. And then you realize that even some government is bad. Well, I appreciate that. And we do need people at the extremes giving the ultra-disciplined of philosophies to be there to espouse them, to have something to shoot for. I 100% agree with what you're talking about, personal sovereignty, personal responsibility of living your life according to the philosophy in which you speak and bringing that inward. There's empathy in it. There's self-reflection in it. Um, there's a lot of things that I believe in. I'm, I'm very much Absolutely. into personal responsibility. I think it's a problem with our society that we rely on the state uh, with responsibility instead of taking personal responsibility. Yeah, we That's- have to become much more humble, Jay, that we don't have any um, right or – and most people believe this. They really don't I – mean, talk, we talk public policy. We get suckered into this idea, oh, well, there needs to be a law about this. Or that person needs to be – you know, like, Really? You really want to go up to your neighbor. Are you willing to advocate something that you're going to walk up to your neighbor and you're going to walk them, walk right up to them and say, you need to, and point the gun at them and say, you need to pay me, uh, pay the community for this tax, for this particular thing that you want. If you're not willing to do that, you're just like the guy on Twitter with, you know, hiding behind uh, a fake name like you complain about all the time, um, saying things that you would never say. Yeah. Right. It's the same kind of thing. Like. No, you just you want this to happen, but you want to pay you want to pay somebody else to point the gun to make it happen. Oh God, that's just tyranny, dude. It doesn't matter how, that's that's just tyranny, no matter how you how you slice it. I'm sorry. This is John Devon, the Foundation. I want to encourage you to spread the love and share the Conservative Hippie Podcast. We are building this community. One person at a time. The the problem I see here in trying to apply, I keep trying to take it back right. to real I world know. solutions I today. I understand. And the problem with it is there's a lot of utopia involved. Like the utopia that ends the arguments of communism, there's a lot of utopia in what you're talking about well, with the with the uh, libertarian philosophies of anarcho capitalism. Well, yes and no, because Utopians are like post-millennial Puritans. They want to create a sin-free world. Okay, they wanted to. They, their goal is to live a sin-free life, but then they, they they went one step further and said, "Now we want to create a sin-free world." And they're willing to point guns at people and create that. It's the modern progressive movement is based on that, and they got suckered into Marxism, which is even worse. What we're saying is this: bad people exist in the world. As a matter of fact, we're the only ones who truly believe you can't get rid of bad people. Because any argument you make for the state, well, okay, who's going to be attracted to the state job where he gets to be a petty tyrant? The guy who has skills and has the ability to go make real money in the real world, satisfying real people's needs, the entrepreneur, or the guy who has no skills, is full of bile, is full of envy, and has the lust to, to rule over other people by being a petty tyrant, giving out, you know, uh, by rubber stamping their, uh, or denying their housing permit, the homeowner's permit or whatever, right? I, no, those people will be attracted to those jobs. Hayek wrote about this in chapter 10 of The Road to Serfdom. I, I reference this all the time, you know, and you're, and even if you have moral people in those jobs, they will be replaced by people who are less moral. If you have a, a moral money, that begets an immoral society, you will, over the course of generations, create people who are less and less moral. So to back to your original question, 
of how do we go from where we are today to the one we have in the future. We have to look at the root cause problems of our society, reject those wholly, and then begin to build systems that, and begin to build processes that uh, reward people for acting morally. Why this is the moral case for Bitcoin. This is the moral case for gold. Sovereign money creates sovereign actors who can hold on to the value of their, their, their previous time, and then they create savings and a bulwark, and they have to produce defense to protect everything they've saved and all their industry and everything else. But it starts there. They have sovereignty over those things. And if you have a sovereign money, that can't be counterfeited. If you have a sovereign money, now you have a moral money. If you have a moral money, you're gonna, you'll eventually get a moral society. So the answer to your question is, like I said, it's not, an in, it's not, it's not one you're going to like. We ain't getting there tomorrow. It took generations of corruption to get us to this point. It's going to take generations of anti-corruption to get us out of this because it's going to take generations to rebuild culture. Now, I have some good news for you. We had complete and utter societal breakdown post-Soviet Union in Russia. It was Russia was then raped by globalists on Wall Street and in Europe and the intelligence agencies of MI6 and uh, France and the United States. CIA actors running around stealing the wealth of the Russian people. Abject poverty. Alcoholism everywhere. Primary means of birth control was abortion. Society in complete collapse. On the verge of the Russian people are on the uh, demographically on the verge of extinction. Now, who comes out of that period of extreme hardship? Hard people. Hard times create hard men. Hard men create strong systems. Strong systems create wealth. Blah 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 blah. So, when we're seeing that in the Russian society today, the biggest expression of that. And in some of the post-Soviet Union, um, uh, Eastern European countries like Hungary, Poland, Serbia, the Czech Republic. What? Uh, what's the best uh, data point for that? They're building thousands and thousands of churches. In the 1990s, in Russia, the you know the parents took you know the the few parents took the kids to school, took the kids to church. Today in Russia, the kids. Take the parents to church. Okay, it's very, very interesting. We're gonna, we're gonna take, we're gonna try to take off on that at some point because I've never heard you express your faith on the Gold Goats and Guns podcast, and that's okay. It's a very personal thing. I, I have, I'm one of those people who have created my own faith that you were talking about earlier. I, I say that I have no specific denominational. Faith. We're we're gonna get in we're gonna get into that in another conversation. Let me try to bring this forward because all we have is the here and now. In a, in a previous conversation, um, you talked about the Republicans infiltrating the Libertarians, mm-hmm. and I had always thought, just especially recent history, sure. that the best way to advance libertarianism and get our philosophies, the party that's wide open, ready to be taken over, is the GOP. Yeah. We already have a lot philosophically in common. They're just so stupid and corrupt, they don't follow it. 
So to bring in some disciplined um, people who are philosophically disciplined within that party. Uh, I, I'll give an example of the Tea Party. Sure. Tea Party made major inroads. Yep. And thanks, now sir. thanks to Mr. Anarcho-Capitalism, Ron Paul. Ron Paul. So you were talking about how the Republicans infiltrated the Libertarians. I thought I'd seen examples recently of the Libertarians um, infiltrating the GOP. The biggest example I could give is Donald Trump himself, guy that was formerly a Democrat. No establishment Republican wanted him in the convention. Basically, the same story was being told in 2016 in the primaries. Let me let me get yeah, this yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. The same story was being told both in the Democratic side and the Republican side. Mm -hmm. You had a populist movement. You had a guy that was formerly a Democrat who was talking all about sovereignty and America first and Donald Trump. You had a guy from the populist left in Bernie Sanders who was mm -hmm. talking about all about the worker mm -hmm. and all about the corrupt corporatism um, that was – that was. Uh, well, he was uh, right about that. It was, it was uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It was, it was rotting our, our core. Oh, yeah. Both talking similarly about the same thing, approaching it two different ways. The DNC absolutely squashed Bernie Sanders, threw all of those voters out, baby with the bathwater, tried to psyop some of them to, to go on with Hillary Clinton. Whereas Donald Trump was, a, I don't want to say allowed, he pushed his way through and was able to take over that Republican Party, become president. So what I'm trying to say is, is I see clear examples of libertarianism, of, of oh, yeah. sovereignty uh, foremost coming through in the Republican Party, one in the Tea Party, one in the candidacy, and the awakening mm -hmm. of some of those people that were fooled by the neocons 20 years ago, talking mm -hmm. about the religious Republicans. Sure. I think that they acknowledged they were fooled by the George Bush years, mm -hmm. and they are ardent Trump supporters now. Help me. What am I am I crazy? No. But isn't libertarianism kind of coming up like a like a weed what, in the what, middle of the what, GOP? What we're seeing, if you really start to think about it, with the with the beginning of the populist movement, which I identified literally the night it happened, when Ron Paul went after uh, when Giuliani went after Ron Paul in that seminal debate in 2008, where Giuliani was the front runner. I uh, I watched the replay the next morning while I was at work. I got done with that moment, that three minutes worth of video. And I immediately emailed Lou Rockwell. And I said, Lou, you better prepare Ron to up his campaign staff now because he's going to be the hottest ticket in politics because they just showed themselves to be scared to death of him because they attacked down. And the first rule of presidential politics is you never attack down. You ignore the guy who is polling at 2%. You don't even look at him. And yeah. Giuliani made the mistake of going back after him and thinking he had the thing won and it was all over because he was told he was going to be he was going to be allowed to win and it was going to be over and that was that. Now, that moment I said Ron is going to ignite a fire here that he's not. I don't. I don't know that he has the organization, the staff, and the organization for. And he better get. He better get on top of it quick. I sent that email to Lou Rockwell literally at nine o'clock that morning, and he got back to me. He said, "I will. I will pass that note on." Turns out Ron did not have the staff to deal with it. He, but yeah, within a couple of months, we had the we had the money bombs. We had the this. We had the tea, the Tea Party started. We had Rick Santelli going crazy on CNBC, CNBC talking about the Tea Party and all the rest of it. Because the silent majority was there. People had been uh, destroyed, had, had their, their hope had been quashed by always being choose, having to choose between globalist A and globalist B. 
and or globalist A they wanted to elect, and Patsy, who globalist who was That's supposed right. to support him and make him look good. And I'd say at that time, it was very few people that actually understood and saw that. Oh, I yeah. did not I at the time. I did. You know, you can clearly see it now going back in history that yeah. we've never really had a choice. No. That they were all just 1A and 1B. They hated Reagan for the exact same and thing. And that's what I mean by Trump breaking through. Yeah. So... So, no, so, so you're right, but that, 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 that populist wave took eight years to build. It was too, Ron Paul was too early, or let's, let's make it, let's be honest with you. He was four years too old. Yes. Because if Ron was four years younger, Ron would have run again in 2016 and Ron would have beat Donald Trump. Ron would have exposed Donald Trump for the shitbag that he is. Okay. But the grifter that he is, but that's fine. Trump took that and understood in his because he understands media the uh, preternaturally. I hate to use that word because of Anne Rice, but that he understands that in a way that is unbelievable, and I, it's one of his coarse competencies as, as a human being, uh, for, for better or for worse. So he took what Paul built. He understood. I, and I remember talking with people about this, and I told my subscribers in my newsletter for Newsmax at the time. I said, guys, he's going to be president. Because Bernie is never going to be allowed to run. The Bernie bros are going to have nowhere to go. Trump's going to walk in to the, uh, to the, to the Rust Belt. And he's going to win the Rust Belt by taking all the Bernie bros and, t- and, and pulling a Reagan, which is exactly – he just ran Reagan's playbook. Okay? And um, that's how Reagan won yes. the Rust Belt. Yeah, Same d- thing. Down to the slogans. Yes. Down to the slogans. So he knew exactly what he was doing. And he, and he didn't expect the win because he expected – the, the machine to just beat him. But he showed up and you're like, well, you know, complicated business here. Sorry to keep you waiting. Remember his night yeah. he got elected. And I, I laughed and I was cackling like a, a, like a little school child. But at the same time, the Brits also showed us the way with Brexit and gave a lot of Americans the spine to vote against Hillary Clinton. Because we all have Stockholm syndrome from these, these globalists. Okay, we really do. And they tell us, well, we can't, you know, draw outside the lines too far because that would be terrible. And he would upset the apple cart. Like, no, that's the whole point. We need to to, to do this. So you're right in that. And the I and this is what I mean by people took into their hearts a different message. What they actually believe in. And they were finally willing to express it. And because things had gotten so bad in 2016, after eight years of Obama, that they wanted something radically different. They were willing to throw the dice on freaking Donald Trump. And I say it all the time. Like, remember, we did, after all, elect Donald freaking Trump. It, it wasn't It wasn't dice. Um, I explained this at the time to people that thought I was crazy. I've got a lot of uh, – mm-hmm. I wouldn't call them left – I just think they're asleep and they vote Democrat because, of course, they're good people. Right. And they, they've fallen for, the, for that trick. Right. I've told them at the time, it's throwing a grenade into the room. Yeah. And, I've, and I had had it after being an independent all my life, being right. a libertarian, but still trying to vote the right way and make right. these decisions sure. without an understanding sure. that it was a captured individual or, wow. or it was never the truth. Like right. Obama, hope and change. Yeah. You know, and oh, let's let's start more wars instead of pull us out of Afghanistan, which he said he was going to do. It was a grenade. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump comes in; he's saying all the right things. You Brexit throw, was a grenade. Was a grenade as well. It was you, like it you, was, you you pull that pin, you throw it in, and look what we got. 
it was it, the other way to say it was a grenade of light. Absolutely. Because when that light came on and Donald Trump was president, you saw all the cockroaches running. You could clearly see the media for what they were. Absolutely. And we had already gotten an instance of that, an inkling of that during Ron Paul's runs, where the neocon right, the nationalist, the, the Weekly Standard, the National Review right hated him just as much as Hillary Clinton did. Yes, and they were all would come out at the same time, and and I already knew all this because I mean by that point I'm a I'm I'm a jaded libertarian who wouldn't even vote at that point because you know I, quote I don't like to encourage them, so, um, <laughs> and you're talking about the very publications that should have been propping and promoting right. Ron Paul were attacking him. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean the 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 supposedly the Buckleyite wing of the Republican Party centered around the National Review and. Um, and and, and uh, Weekly Standard and and uh, con- and American Conservative and all that Acon Mag and all those guys they were all supposed to be on Ron Paul's side and they all hated him because they were all neocons yeah. they were all K Street neocons and they're horrible people so the truth is the truth is like everything else that it exposed everybody Trump exposed all of it um, and which is great and I and I and I thank him for his service on that on that front and. And he was able to build on that, I that notion of why are we a, the policemen of the world? Why are we doing all these things? Why you know all the things that Ron Paul talked about, and you know freedom is popular and all of that stuff. Same thing happened, but Ron Paul created the stones for Brexit. Brexit gave people the stones to throw the grenade in and elect Trump. It's all back and forth. It's all part of the process, right? That's what allowed the polls to, to, uh, uh, to elect law and justice to a, a, a majority to for Viktor Orban to uh, take over in Hungary, right? This these are everybody's watching all this stuff all the way around the world because we're all so desperate for real solutions, and that's good. And yes, the GOP was the right vehicle because of the way the delegates are, are handed out, which is it's still a meritocracy as opposed to 35% superdelegates who are pledged to the biggest donor and who controls the party, right? So the Democrats are a lost cause. Interestingly, what I want you to, to note, as American politics has gotten more strident and gotten more corrupt, how are voters voting? They are voting either pure Marxism or pure libertarianism. They're not willing to stay within the lines, which is kind of weak-willed globalism. Just like, I think I talked to you about this privately the other day, there's that great interview that Jordan Peterson did all those years ago on Swedish television, and he was talking with these people, and he's explaining to them, look, when you, in the countries, we have the data on this. He's like, in the countries that have tried to enforce um, egalitarian, uh, gender egalitarianism, Girls get to be doctors, boys have to be nurses, yada, yada, yada. That the more a country tries, the, the societies try to enforce gender egalitarianism, the wider the disparity of the behavior of the genders becomes, meaning boys become more male, become much more masculine, and girls become much more feminine than in societies that don't enforce it. It's the same thing. When you put, when you put humans into a pressure cooker, you get the, you get people pushing to the extremes, and the extremes become the norm. So we were always going to become more popular on the libertarian right because Republican globalism versus Democratic globalism serve nobody, and the Democrats no 
no, no shock, went hard Marxist as a response to the failing society. No shock that the right went hardcore sovereignist libertarian, in effect, because the society is failing. The society is failing because the, under, the underlying structures of the society are built on theft and fraud, i.e. the U.S. dollar and central bank fiat debt-based currencies that are hollowing out everybody's life. Yeah. Okay? And so, again, corrupt money gets a corrupt, begets a corrupt society. And guess who was saying that? You alt-right guys. Who's been saying that since the 1970s? Who's been saying that since Mises wrote Socialism and Economic and Philosophical Treatise in 1922 or Socialism in the Economic Commonwealth, the original article, in 1920? Yeah, those libertarians, you, you straw man out and tell us that we don't know what in the hell we're talking about. So you, <laughs> I'm tired of listening to it. We have your answers for you, but you don't, you're not going to like those answers unless you're willing to do the hard work. Yeah, and I guess, I guess my point is, it, I'll say it again, it's wonderful to have the people with discipline philosophy out there walking the walk. I believe the Libertarian Party is broad enough that it can be softened at the edges, applied into our current system, and blown up from within. Just like I, you threw Donald Trump in may, that grenade. Maybe. If may, we, if we it, get a larger lobby of... I, I didn't like the Tea Party at the time. There were lots of Tea Party people that I couldn't stand. I'm not going to... you know, Jay, I would love to live in that world. But I, what I know about ballot access laws in this country, what I know about how hard it is to... The activation energy. I'm a chemist, right? Yeah. The activation energy to get a third party up into, you know, in, into a system and in, into a position to actually win anything in America, you know. The, what? A, what? A, no. Let, and and let so me, the LP is not is never going to get anywhere, and the LP is never going to take the Republicans over. What's going to happen? You don't think major, so? No. The two major parties will split, and we will have a civil war before the two parties will be allowed to collapse. The, but the Democrat, if the Democrats lose in twenty twenty two, the Democrats are going to split into three factions. What I'm saying is. Is from the neocon destruction exactly what you pointed out? Mm -hmm. What the what the globalists have left us with right. in taking advantage of our corrupt system, our state system, the theft, uh, the monetary policy. They've left a hollowed out GOP yeah, that left is a hollowed ripe, out American, uh, a Democratic Party. But it's ripe for people with fi with sure. philosophical discipline to come into it I, because I, because at I, the core the GOP is the Libertarian Party. They just want those dis they want. Never, the philosophical actually, discipline. Th no, that that is I, I don't agree with that. And I know that going back to the to the, the Republican Party has always been the, the corporatist party. Going back to when the party of Lincoln is the corporatist party. It's the corporatist party of railroad bankers. Okay. Let's go back to what let, how, here's my here's here's a really good historical lesson for everybody. Um so in 1860, it was supposed to be James Buchanan, the incumbent Democrat versus whatever versus the Whigs, but the Whig the Whigs had imploded by that point and the GOP took over for the Whigs and so it was going to be the Republican, whoever that was going to be. So is it interesting that at the Democratic convention that year, Buchanan was tossed aside for Stephen Douglas. Who is Stephen Douglas? Oh, he was a railroad lawyer from Illinois. And who was Lincoln? A railroad link a lawyer from Illinois, both of whom represented the banks that went bust in the Panic of 1857, which 
that Buchanan refused to bail them out over. No one wants to admit that the American Civil War is downstream of the first transnational banking crisis in the history of the world. The Panic of 1857 and the fact that Buchanan was such a constitutionalist and such a constructionist that he refused, one, to bail out the banks, and then two, refused to stop the South from seceding, even though he didn't personally believe they had the right to do it, but he also understood that he didn't have the right to stop them under the Constitution. And because of that, and because he had signaled that, they dumped him at the convention to ensure that the globalist bankers won the election of 1860 and fomented the bloodiest civil war nominally over slavery in modern history. And we were the only country to fight a violent civil war to end slavery. Everybody else has bought everybody off. All right, I'm going to end this discussion with those bombshells. <laughs> I want, to, I, I want to try to explain myself just a little bit better because it's something that you espouse on your uh, podcast and on your platform, the Gold Goats and Guns. There's other people out there that I respect a lot that I consume. I don't have right. a lot of time, so I have to be very right. picky about what I consume. Me too. Every single one of them is very similar in what they're talking about right now, and it's about local communities. Absolutely. It's about getting back to knowing your neighbors. It's about getting back to knowing your neighborhood. It's about getting back to knowing your town, your county, and then working your way up state country. It's about that connection, that local connection. And if yep. we can have principled, disciplined, philosophical libertarians starting at the local level and living the life, as you put it, if if you look inward with self-reflection mm -hmm. and you apply those principles to yourself, it's only natural that that will then spread to your neighborhood. Okay. What I'm saying is, is if it starts there, we can take over that Republican Party. I agree. Not break it up, not anything. I'm talking about more Tea Party members. I, I Jay, I... I... I, I, I love your enthusiasm. I, I, I truly do. I, I, I respect it. I don't share it. And I don't share it for a variety of reasons. And they have to do with that we have reached terminal levels of corruption. The system would rather implode than be reformed. It's already proven that. That's what the election of 2020 was all about. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried we're not going... I, I don't want to continue on. We've reached an hour. I've got so much great stuff out of you, right. and we could well, go uh, for uh, hours. So no, the, the, last, the last point on this is very simple. You're right. It is all about local community. It is about taking back local sovereignty. It's now about looking to your, um, to your neighbors and, your, and, and looking to what systems are going to get you there. And I'm going to leave you with the last one. You're not going to get there through the political system. You're going to get there through reforming the local economy and the local money system. And Davos is trying to destroy our local communities by destroying our local abilities to raise food, raise our children, educate our children, and provide basic goods and services to each other. And I say this on my podcast and on my live streams all the time. I need everybody to understand that the way out of this is private money. And the day I can get my friend Brad, who raises cows, to accept Dash for his cows, because my local feed store will accept Dash for hay, is the day that they have no power over us at all. That's right. And I want to I wanna end with that hippie commune 
is not communist. That hippie commune in the future is libertarian. Yeah. All right, guys. I'm going to try to pin this fool down for some more podcasts. We'll see what comes out. Um, Tom, thank you very much for coming and, and taking the time to do this with me. Uh, we're going to put this out as my second series on libertarianism with the great Tom Luongo. Um, give yourself a cheer. Don't break your arm patting yourself on the back, but great job today, Tom. Thank you. I, I, I love doing this. I, I love this conversation. This, this, is my, this is the meat and potatoes conversation for me. I can do this all day long. Let's be friends. We're all on this cosmic spaceship together. Subscribe and share the Conservative Hippie Podcast. Visit our sponsors, SmokeAndJays.com. Everything for your smoke and lifestyle. StonerHoroscopes.com. Adora Zen dishes cosmic vibes for the stoner at heart. KickFromTheSpot.com. Soccer is American.